And that's what I try to remind myself is like, you know, if I sit and wait for inspiration, it's not going to come. It comes with action. Inspiration comes with action. I got to feel some type of forward momentum for me to feel inspired to, to create something new. Hello and welcome. I'm Kate, and this is the Freelance Founders Podcast, where we talk to creatives who have designed their own careers. We're so grateful to be able to interview these bright minds and share their incredible journeys with you. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Freelance Founders Podcast. Today, I am speaking with photographer Mark Clennon. Mark, welcome, and thank you so much for being here with me today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited about our chat today. So we start off each podcast by asking our guests what your very first freelance rate was. Oh, my very first freelance rate was $900 a day. That was the first time I was like, oh, this is my, my day rate. And this seems, this feels uncomfortably high. <laughs> so I think that was the, my first, my first day rate there. I mean, that's much higher than we've gotten from other people, but that's awesome that you were just like, this feels really high. I'm going to put myself in an uncomfortable position and see if people take it. And people clearly did. So that's great. Yeah. So could you tell us a little bit about your career path, where you started? So I'm from Florida originally, and I moved to New York City, and I was just enamored with the city, and I became like a big-time people watcher taking photos with my phone. And the whole time I'm working in tech, I'm working at AOL, which is now Yahoo or Verizon, as like an account executive working on programmatic advertising. So I wasn't very excited about my role in my job. I was the only black guy on the floor. So it was just like kind of, you know, whatever. I was really indifferent to my career at that time, but I really enjoyed photography, but... I was kind of scared of being the photo guy. But after like a couple of years, people would ask me like, what kind of camera do you use? I'm like, oh, I just use my phone. They're like, oh, you're really good. You should probably like try to use a real camera. So I got a camera like in 2014. My mom got me like a $300 Canon. And I went out and took some photographs with it, put it on my desk and it sat there for two years. I didn't, I didn't pick it back up. Um, and then mm-hmm. I, I picked it back up seriously in 2016. It was stuck the second time. And then the whole time I'm working full time as an account executive in tech and making photos in the morning, lunch break and afternoon. And then kind of just ballooned from there. And at the time, we were the parent company at Huffington Post. So they're right on the floor below us. And I had some friends down there. So there was a festival. I'm like, hey, I'm going to this festival. I'm taking my camera. Do y'all want these pictures that I take? They're like, yeah, sure. We'll make a little article. And that was like my first piece of press that I did well. And then things started rolling from there. So 2016, I picked up the camera. 2017, I quit my job. And I've been running full speed ever since. So yeah, I quit my job charging $900 a day. (laughs) I think that's great. You knew your base. You knew like what you needed to live on. And obviously, too, having your first piece run in the Huffington Post is pretty incredible. You know, that's a great first jumping off point. So from 2016 to 2017, then, were you just shooting on the weekends or going to like different types of events? No, I mean, I was just doing a lot, just a lot of everything. I was just taking photos. I was meeting new photographers, taking photos of them. We were hosting photo walks because, you know, at the time I'm shooting at the auto settings, I didn't even know how to use it. So we got like a few people together. We would walk around New York and like use our cameras and try to figure it out. I think I was pretty lucky because I did have a full-time job. I was really only trying to make enough money to buy new camera equipment. It wasn't like I needed to pay any bills or rent or anything like that. So I think that's why I was able to kind of 
choose and just be picky with what I wanted to do and just have fun with it. I think that was kind of like the key for me to learning quickly. I was a friend with the camera, so I'll be like at people's birthdays, you know, I'll be at brunch with my camera. You know, some sometimes I remember one time I did a I did a whole brunch event for twenty dollars and a plate. Just because I wanted to be there and I wanted to like shoot the event and be there. That's fun. And everything you've learned has been self-taught then and just exploring with the camera. Yeah, everything's been self-taught or YouTube. I would go out and shoot and counter a roadblock and then Google it or YouTube it. So I was able to like find better queries to to search to help me improve. You know, that was my goal to like find a roadblock and Google Google my way out of it. I just didn't know what questions to ask. So I had to make those mistakes to ask the right questions. You have an incredible portfolio. You've shot huge campaigns. You've shot top fashion designers and editorials. Who was your first big client? My first big client was Foot Locker. And I got that job just because I had been shooting like editorial type stuff and putting it on Instagram. I met a now friend of mine, Tannis, at an event. I was shooting as an event, like an event photographer. It's like, oh, I've seen your work. I just got this job at Foot Locker. You know, I've been there a couple of weeks and like, I want it, I want you to do my first campaign. I'm like, ah, okay. Like I believed her, but you know, I took it with a grain of salt because like, you know, there's no, you know, contract. And then a month later, she's like, hey, all right. The job came in and that was my first campaign was for Foot Locker in 2017. I was almost out of money at that time too. So I think I got paid $2,500 for it. And it was, it was my big commercial debut. I rehearsed the entire shoot the day before with an assistant. Like it was shot on the New York City subway. So I'm like, I don't want, I want to be ready for any variable. So I did every shot the day before. And then the next day, I just ran through it with the, everything I already did the day before. And those images are still on clients' mood boards for $50,000 campaigns, those same images. So yeah, that was, my, that was my big commercial debut there. That's incredible. And I assume you were pretty intimidated, hence the practice run through, which mm-hmm. I think is really smart. I feel like more people should do that, actually. I've been on a lot of sets where I'm like, I feel like this could have been worked out ahead of time. And now we're sta- all standing around trying to figure out what we can do to problem solve this. So was it really intimidating though for that being your first shoot? Yeah, I mean, I started photography shooting around and hopping over stuff and sneaking into stuff and climbing on things. So I wasn't really intimidated by the location. And like, you know, I've been in in New York for quite some time. So we knew at the end of the line at 14th Street, that train is going to stay there for a little while. So like, I'm like, let's shoot there. We went and practiced there because we knew we had like, we would. I went the day before and timed it. So like, okay, we have 11 minutes to shoot it and the next train comes, you have 11 minutes on the other side. So like that preparation really helped me. I think I was nervous. Like if I got that job today, I would just go and shoot it. But yeah, I think I was pretty like, I wanted to get it right because I knew it was my friend's first campaign. It was my first campaign. So I just wanted to get it right. I remember being nervous, but after we started shooting, you know, everything came naturally and it it was a good time. It was a great position for me to be in for my first one, for sure. And it's nice that you started off with like a friend and it was the first time for both of you. So you guys were kind of in it together and had that support of one another. So aside from your clients, you do a lot of personal projects as well, correct? And you're still doing a lot of personal projects? Yes. Without the personal projects, I would have quit. You know, as my career progressed, it came a point where every time I picked up my camera, it was a high stakes situation. 32 people on the call, pre-production, post-production, deliverables, 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 timelines. It really started to just weigh on me like, wow, this feels like 
feels like work again, you know, because it, it, it is work. You know, these aren't clients. Clients are going to client no matter what industry <laughs> you're in. So I need that personal work to connect me back to what it is that I fell in love with. And that's just experimenting, discovering new things, pressure free. Personal work for me, especially the past, you know, two, wow, two years, it's 2022, the past two years um, has really been the thing that was able to keep me going because now is everything's so demanding in terms of what I need to produce for the client that I need to be a creative. I need to be an artist and use my skills to tell the stories that I want to tell. And, you know, a lot of times that lives outside of a client deliverable. I think it's really nice that you're able as a photographer to take on that personal work and still be creative and have it be a creative outlet as well as work because some freelancers and some founders, they have to wake up and just still love their job every day. You know, I do think that they are able to take pro bono work and work with clients that really are a passion to them or they truly believe in. But for you, you can just pick up your camera, go out and have a a day just to yourself taking photos of what you love. I would love to get a little bit more into this iconic photo you took from the Black Lives Matter protest in 2020. Can you tell us a little bit more about your experience that day? Yeah, that was, you know, I replayed that day a lot. That photo definitely changed my career, probably my life. When I was continuing to do some stuff for the Huffington Post, everything I did for the Huffington Post was for free. It was already photos that I already had. So I never was like on assignment for them. It was always like, I got these photos. I'll go down to my friend like, yo, I got these pictures. Do you want them? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. So I had covered some protest stuff in, I want to say 2016, 2017. And that was on the Huffington Post. That was my first time like photographing protests. When I first got to the city, it was Occupy Wall Street. And I wasn't a photographer then. I just wanted to see it. I just wanted to see it for myself. Like I went to Times Square, brought my iPhone and just like, wow, this is New York. Wow, these are people like using their rights as Americans to, to voice their opinions. So I had been to a lot of these, these protests. And the thing about New York City is it can swallow up any type of parade. You can be in one part of town and, you know, you don't even know the Super Bowl's in town. But in 2020, we were all in our house, glued to our phones, the television. The streets were completely empty. I just had a daughter. She was a few months old. She was born in February 2020. So we weren't going anywhere. We were in the house. And then, you know, the George Floyd video was devastating to see and watch. And then I could hear protests outside of my apartment, just coming down Lenox Avenue. And I hadn't touched my camera for months at that time. Like, you know, there was no work to be had. My shoot started getting canceled in February. I was supposed to do a shoot for Google. And it's like, oh, because of the coronavirus. I'm like, wow, what? I heard about it on the news, but, you know, Google's a global company, so they have, like, insight to what's going on in all their offices. And I just thought it was bizarre, like, as a freelancer, okay, this shoot got canceled, like, Usually that means if Google's doing it, I'm pretty sure like the dominoes are going to fall. So I kind of had an idea that it was making its way to America seriously. So I had, after not working for months, not picking up my camera, depressed because I, you know, just sitting at home. I said, let me just go, let me just join this protest. So I went out there, it was like a protest. So I brought my, just one camera, one lens. Normally if I'm covering something, I have two cameras, two bodies, and I'm look, I look like a, you know, a photographer because I have all this gear. I just brought one camera, one lens, packed it light. Walk with the protests. I joined at 125th Street in Harlem. Trump Towers on 59th Street. You know, that's a long way to walk. So I've been just taking photos the whole way. I knew that we were approaching Trump Tower coming down Central Park. 
So I'm like, okay, the protest is going to stop here for a second. I, I, I knew it. We're going to go right past it. I wasn't sure if people knew that it was coming up. So I hopped on a city bike. I was in the middle of the protest. I hopped on a city bike all the way ahead of it to the front. Parked my city bike in front of Trump Tower. I'm like, no, somebody might take it. So I had to ride it to the Plaza Hotel right across from the Apple Store, Fifth Avenue. I parked it there and I sprinted back. And I'm like, there's an image here to be had. I and mean, I just waited. I just waited. So the, you know, the protest came. Everybody kind of kneeled down in front. For them. In the front, they'll kneel down so the rest can catch up. Right. So they kneeled down in front. I kneeled down too. I just waited. The man in front of me, I was like, he's going to raise his fist. I, I, just, I just knew it. I didn't know him. I didn't speak to him. But he did. I think I took like 30 frames. And the first frame I took was the one. And I looked at it in my camera like, this is pretty good. And we continued down to Times Square. And that's kind of where I ended. I came back up town, told my wife about it, like how just surreal it was to be there. Been to protests before, but none with masks and PPE and never at this scale. I had never seen anything like this. I knew it was something historical that I was a part of. And then I just edited the photos Posted the photo on the couch, put my phone down, eight, you know, and then um, I picked my phone back up maybe 35 minutes later and I had like 8,000 likes, which is, you know, I had gotten 8,000 likes in the past, but never in 30 minutes, you know, so I'm like, oh, okay, this is, uh, this is a lot. So I'm just hitting refresh, 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 you know, 100,000, 200,000, 300,000. Like, wow, this is going viral on Twitter and Facebook. And about 1 a.m. Time Magazine just called me. They wanted to pay for weeks of exclusivity. Like they know they want it. They don't know what they want to use it for, but they just want to like reserve this time, the next four days, if you just not give it to the New York Times or some other publication. I was like, okay, you want to be in Time Magazine. You want the cover. You want the you want the table of contents. You want a full page. That's that's like you work your whole career to try to get there. So they called me. They said, yeah, we want it. So I said, oh, this is crazy. I hadn't slept. I didn't know how to respond to all of this attention. My phone was just blowing up. So, you know, and then eventually ran the next couple of weeks, you know, table of contents and then a full page in the article. And then, then my phone never stopped ringing for maybe like two months. Ellen Show, McDonald's, BET commercials, you name it. It was in my inbox. So it's bizarre because I felt like the weight of it because um, as an artist, my dreams are coming true because a black man was killed on camera, which is uh, something I can never separate myself from. So, you know, every time I'm asked about it, I think about the video and I think about the family. I mean, the fact that I've made a career out of it is, is still something I was just trying to like grapple with. But overall, like, I'm happy I was able to contribute. I'm happy my voice was able to be heard in this moment. And I've been able to create something that's gonna live longer than myself. I've been licensed to history books, so it's there. And I'm just going to continue to like tell the scope of what it means to be black because, you know, protesting is part of it for some of us. Um, falling in love is part of it. Family is part of it. Joy and play and creativity is part of it. So I just want to make sure we get the whole scope of what it means to, to live here. Freelance Founders is more than just this podcast. It's a thriving members-only community and resource hub for the top creative and marketing freelancers from around the world. Our digital platform acts as a home base to freelancers across 49 cities, 13 countries and counting. As a member, you get access to like-minded individuals, exclusive freelance jobs, professional development workshops, a library of resources, and invites to exclusive in-person events, all available wherever you are. One member even said, if it weren't for freelance founders, I would have quit freelancing. 
This community has introduced me to countless creatives, helped me increase my rates, and find lots of new jobs. Apply by April 1st to get access to our spring cohort. Wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing that day and that story with us. And I was in the city as well, and it was such a different type of energy happening. You know, I was glued to the TV. I was walking out in the streets wanting to learn more and educate myself. And I'd never been to a protest before. And it was really powerful and very educational. And I saw your photo and I think it definitely clearly impacted a lot of people during that time and continues. You were getting hit up for like two months now from that photo. How did you navigate all of these huge requests and opportunities? What up, my friend Bruce is sort of like a manager, so we, we would like tag team these opportunities. There was a lot of stuff we didn't know. We would have been on Ellen's show. We probably gave him a number too high because we didn't know. Knowing what I know now, I think we said, oh, we, we had searched and advice from multiple sources. It was an insane time, right? It's even hard to get in touch with people at, at that time. So we, we quoted, I don't remember a number. It was like over 10,000 when the number probably should have been like 300. <laughs> we didn't know, though. Those like little mistakes there. The thing is, I had so much work before that. Like I had been making so much work before that. So I know of other photographers who had like viral f- photos that might have been like a little bit earlier in their career, or earlier in their journey. They, I don't think they would have been able to make the same plays of that because I've already been shooting like commercially. I've been shooting editorial stuff. In New York, I've been, I was known as a photographer already. So I think because I had the, the catalog and library, I was able to just get my work in front of the people that I was trying to get it in front of in the first place. So that was the entry point. You know, when you find a new music artist and you're like, oh, I like this song, you go to the Spotify page and like, oh, I like this one too. And then now you're a new fan. So that was kind of like that situation for me. So like, I got my work in front of people for the first time that I've been trying to get in front of. I just like filtering out which opportunities I wanted to take and which ones I didn't. I think we made mostly right decisions with that. And um, we just continue to work towards it. Then I got signed I'm with an agency, I have a relationship with an agency now. So I have you know, agents now and they, they kind of do a lot of outreach for me on my behalf as we game plan what, what the next steps are. So yeah, that's how we navigated it. But it went from sitting on my butt for months to just insane every day. So I really, really wasn't even able to like process it and like take a step back and look at like, okay, what just happened until probably the, the next year. Until like mid 2021 is when I could like really do this because in between work, I'm also like doing interviews on PBS. I'm speaking at Duke and UNC on Zoom, like, and then doing TED Talks. So it was like, there was just a lot of different like appearances, Netflix and doing a lot of different appearances. So, you know, this year I'm kind of happy to be like settling in and getting back to photography. Did you enjoy that phase of doing the interviews? Are you more so like, I enjoy being behind the camera and just doing my thing? No, I enjoy. I enjoyed it. I think in the moment, in the moment, I couldn't because, like I said, how comes back to George Floyd. So like these things are happening, and in my mind, I'm like, this is happening largely because a man was killed on camera. It just keeps coming back to that. So I couldn't. There's there's no w- way to properly celebrate that, and it's not like I can like meet up with friends and you know celebrate it at that end of May 2020, 2020. So when I was in it, I was just in it. And now that I have a little bit of distance, I can look back on that time. But we're still kind of in it. Like, we're still wearing masks. You know, it's still the same era. 
And there's so much going on in the world too, currently. The world's in a very strange place right now. And I think everybody's just taking it day by day and waiting to see how it unfolds. So you clearly love to be out taking photos of people. When you first started out, you're just taking photos on your phone. But how do you constantly stay inspired and translate it to your work? Yeah, I don't constantly stay inspired. I don't. It's frustrating, especially the highs that I had and then the come down to like normal life. It's tough to make that adjustment. But, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not inspired a lot of the times, but I don't think I need to be inspired to make work. I can only be inspired by making things. So I just try to continue to shoot, which has been, you know, increasingly difficult, whether it be weather, pandemic, toddler. But you know, I try to disassociate myself from like my work and inspiration. I think it's just like my work. I will find the inspiration in my work. And that's what I try to remind myself is like, you know, if I sit and wait for inspiration, it's not going to come. It comes with action. Inspiration comes with action. I got to feel some type of forward momentum for me to feel inspired to to create something new. So I have to keep searching for inspiration actively by working. You know, but there's a lot of things that inspire me. And lately it's been just my family. Over the Christmas holiday, I decided to spend a thousand plus bucks to get a full production. Like I rented out everything in Miami. I drove it up in a truck. I had my cousins build like a giant scrim outside. We're from Florida, so it was warm. Giant scrim on the outside. I tethered my camera to the laptop. It was a full on production in my grandma's backyard because like my family deserves this. Like if I'm doing this for the, you know, these brands and like I was talking about deliverables, like my family also deserves to like have these photos and like we don't have to rent a studio out or hire a photographer like i'm right here so i got a custom hand painted backdrop shipped i went all out for my family and i've really been finding inspiration and just like telling the everyday stories especially when like when there's a magazine and you're dealing with talent celebs and their pr person and you know their agents and like okay let me just i want to take photos of like real people with no brand real people with no rollout or media plan. So that's what I've been like really inspired by lately. It's just like regular people telling the fantastic stories that regular people have. I think that's great that you thought like, why not do this for my family? Those images you're going to have for forever and they'll have for forever. And I'm sure they, did they enjoy getting shot by you? Oh, they had a blast. The next day, like, hey, when are we going to get the picture? I'm like, well, (laughs) I haven't haven't even done dropping the files. So I actually haven't given up in any of them now. To my family yet, I'm, I'm going to make a book to give to my grandma on Mother's Day so that I have something physical and tangible. I think after I made that Trump photo, like I kept trying to swing for like a home run, like missing it. and that, I can't recreate that on a weekly basis. But like the images that I make that are going to last forever, actually the, the image of the people closest to me, you know, my daughter and my grandkids eventually and their kids, like they're going to be fascinated by these photos. I'll be fascinated to see like a photo of my great, 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 great grandfather, you know? So that's where forever will can live is in those photos. Really something special though. So we have just a few more questions to wrap up. When you're on your own as a photographer, how do you measure success? I know it can be hard for some people to measure it, but what does success mean to you and how do you measure it? Dollars, that's part of it. You know, I, I eventually I've been doing some directing lately. I think the thing is storytelling. Like, just I want to feel like I can, can contribute my point of view to a story. 
And I want to be respected by my peers. I know that might be like, people say that's like, don't worry about what other people think, but I want to be known, like, I want to be known as a, a contributor and a voice for people, not like a leader, but like, you know, just a contributing author to this book that we're all writing together. When I go to sleep at night, do I feel good? I remember like when I was working, I would be bust my ass, you know, work on whatever client brief flying over wherever I need to fly and coming back. And I'd be so tired. I'm like, I, I don't like this. But when, I'm, when I have a great day of photography, I'm working on a project that I love and I'm dead tired, that it feels different. I feel like I'm building my own house tired instead of like, you know, working for someone else, which there's no problem with. But um, so I just want to just recreate those feelings. I want to feel like I'm contributing. I want to feel like I have financial flexibility to do what I want by the time that I need for the space that I want to have to create. The thing about photography is show and tell. I would like to see billboards with my work. You know, it's cool to see my stuff on television. It's cool, ego-driven a little bit. Like, I just want to see my stuff out there. I want people to view it on a wall as an artist. I want to invite people to my gallery. I want to be in the museum. I think a big goal of mine is to get that photo in Smithsonian. I feel like it deserves a little spot. It's like those things are, are goals of mine, just so I can just show show my contributions in a way that makes sense to my voice. The goal for the Smithsonian is definitely, I think, something that could happen for you. And I think that's a really great goal to have to show how you contributed. Do you have like a tagline or a mantra that you would share with young photographers who are trying to break into the industry or a tip to give them? I say this all the time. <laughs> uh, don't be afraid of looking like a beginner. And I use that initially because that when I was had the phone and people were telling me you should uh, do the camera thing, I didn't want to carry around a camera looking goofy and like not knowing what I'm doing. And so that's when I was afraid of looking like a beginner. And like that has repeated itself time and time again, whether it be like, okay, I'm shooting campaigns now. Now this is a much bigger campaign. Now I'm looking at the call sheet. It's like, you know, 40 people. And here I am at the top. Like, let me reach out and ask some questions to other photographers. Like, this is me humbling myself and looking like a beginner, like, hey, I need help here. Like, what do I say to this? Like, how do I approach a, a shoot of this size? Or I need a photo assistant to help me light this because I can't do it all by myself. And it's in those moments where you can let your ego get in the way of your own progression. I'm always trying to make sure that there's people that are smarter than me on my team. Like, I want somebody who's better at lighting than me if they're going to be, you know, working as my lighting technician. I want somebody you know, who's better at movement than me and posing than me if we have like a, another assistant that's helping like set the vibe. So, you know, in those ways I can look like a beginner because I have to ask them like, hey man, what does this mean? Or uh, when I'm directing, you know, same equipment, different uses and not being afraid to ask those questions as I continue to progress in my career, for sure. So don't be afraid of looking like a beginner. It's like advice I give. My mantra is like brick by brick. You know, it's hard work. You just lay the brick and then my favorite, I might actually get an axe tattooed, but there was one situation where I was, I had a, like an okay shoot. It wasn't great. And I quit maybe, you know, less than a year. So less than a year is me quitting. I'm hemorrhaging money. Like, I'm like, man, I'm, I, might, <laughs> I might not last another six months of the way, I'm, the way I'm spending my money and the money that's coming in because I'm coming from a tech salary to no salary, right? And it was raining hard and I'm in Tribeca and all the stuff is getting wet. And I'm like, yo, what am, why am I doing this? Back my old job, I just call a car, you know, we're eating steak, client dinners. But um, I just thought of this thing like a, a lumberjack, right? A lumberjack is in the woods for, and he has his ax or she has her ax. And you, you could swing at this tree. 
if I stop every second to look and see if the tree is coming down, it's going to take me forever. If I if I look at other people's trees to see how how their trees are progressing, it's going to take me forever. What I need to work on and focus on is my swing and my technique. Is my elbow tight? Is my swing you know calculated? Do I have a good rhythm? Like if I'm just focusing on the stuff on the ground level and my specific swing, my day to day, minute habits and activities, that tree will come down. It's inevitable. It's mathematics. So I don't need to focus on the tree coming down. I need to focus on my swing of the axe. I just started that while I'm like in the rain. And I'm like, that is the mantra. Like that is the mantra I have to move forward with because I can't be looking at other people's trees. I can't be looking up and wondering like, why isn't this tree down yet? If I focus on my swing, the tree's going to come down. That, that's kind of my internal mantra. So I'm, I'm, my next tattoo is definitely going to be like an axe to remind me of that. So don't be afraid to look like or to feel like a beginner or look like a beginner. Be okay with that and pay attention to your own swing and don't worry about when the tree is going to come down. I definitely agree with you on the don't be afraid to look like a beginner because I think a lot of people, it's an ego thing. You know, they're they're coming into a room with all these people and they have to feel like they know everything. But then really at the end of the day, it makes you look way worse when they can't admit that they don't know what they're doing or they're, they don't allow other people who are actually more skilled or talented in specific positions to step in and just do their job. And so I think a bit of that's just being humble and being okay with it and having the confidence that you'll get to that point where you'll still feel like a professional. Every experience can be a new experience. And so you kind of have to just walk in and be like, it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to ask for somebody who is better at something than I am in one specific field than acting like I know everything. And I think there are a lot of people that try to act like they know everything and it it hurts them in the end. So Mark, the last question I have for you is, can you tell us your ballpark rate now? My ballpark rate now is probably, probably like 7,500 a day in that area just to shoot. And then for me to use my equipment, that's another that that's another line item. So, you know, renting my gear can be another couple thousand, half my day rate to travel. And then licensing and usage. So depending on the usage, that can be, you know, thousand to 20,000. So just, you know, a lot of things depend, but like I learned a lot. I'm like, I didn't know you could charge for that. <laughs> I didn't know you could charge for your own gear, but it makes sense. I'm putting miles. It's like putting miles in a car. So, um, you know, those are the things that I've learned. I'm like, oh, okay. Like literally an ideal client should be able to pay for all of these things. So that's kind of where we're, we're landing these days, depending on, you know, depending on the situation, you know, there's commercial, there's directing, there's editorial, which all have their different benchmarks and ballparks, but that's kind of where we're, we're landing. Well, Mark, thank you so much for being here with us today. It was awesome speaking to you. I really enjoyed our conversation. Me too. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to, uh, to hear back. Thank you for listening to my chat with Mark Clennon. You can find out more about Mark by visiting his website, markclennon.com. To learn more about Freelance Founders, head over to our website, freelancefounders.com, and follow us on Instagram at freelancefounders. We hope you'll share, subscribe, rate, and review the Freelance Founders podcast, which is available for free on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening and have a great day.